Welcome, listeners, to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon, the podcast that highlights cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find stories filled with explicit sex or graphic violence. You will find interviews with authors who create crime fiction filled with intriguing plots, engaging characters, and high-quality writing. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. My guest today is Laura Jensen Walker. You may remember Laura from September of 2020 when she joined me to chat about her debut cozy, Murder Most Sweet. She rejoins me today to chat about the first book in her new cozy series, Hope, Faith, and a Corpse. Welcome back, Laura. Thanks for having me, Alexia. Now, Hope, Faith, and a Corpse is the first Faith Chapel mystery. You gave us a sneak peek on a previous episode of the podcast, so how about letting us in on more about your new series and what your sleuth is up to? Okay. Well, Hope is actually the name of uh, my woman Episcopal priest, Pastor Hope Taylor, and she comes to a small town in Northern California called Apple Springs to become the first woman priest an associate pastor at Faith Chapel Episcopal Church. And this church is 160 years old and its entire history, it's never had a woman pastor. So some of the old timers, or as they call themselves, cradle Episcopalians are not real happy with the idea of a woman being a pastor in the church. So, and she's, but she's fun. She's a, she's a 42 year old widow and she has a passion for old movies, which is a bit of me that I worked in there. It's that, um, I, I know some, some female priests you could probably relate to some of those sentiments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and speaking of which, um, Hope joins the rank of clerical sleuths like Father Brown and Brother Cadfael and Claire Ferguson. So what do you think makes clerics such good detectives? Well, the fact that they get to actually do um, uh, pastoral counseling is a real big, I mean, they, they get to be the confidant of their parishioners and people come to them with their problems. And so they know a lot more about people than your average person. They, they get to know the insides and outsides and the secrets. And so I think that really helps a lot. Now, your Faith Chapel series takes a different spin on amateur sleuthing than your Bookish Baker mysteries. So how do you approach writing series with such different protagonists? <laughs> well, um, when I, so I'm now retired. I wasn't when I first started, actually an interesting little tip. I wrote Hope, Faith, and a Corpse first almost three years ago. That was the first cozy I wrote. Um, and then my agent tried to sell it and it got rejected. And I never heard why, but it was just like, okay, set that aside and work on something else. So then I came up with Murder Most Sweet. And then Crooked Lane, my publisher, uh, I found out in fall of 2019 that they were going to be, um, my agent called and said, hey, guess what? Crooked Lane wants um, Murder Most Sweet. And I went, yay, and cried and was very excited. And then he said, but wait, even better. They, they want Hope, Faith, and a Corpse too. I was like, oh, yay. So what had happened because um, I didn't have a contract and I was still working. I wrote the entire book. I wrote Hope first, almost three years ago. Then when it didn't sell, then I took the time and I wrote Murder Most Sweet. So I, they were, I wasn't writing them at the same time. So that helped a lot. I had time in between. Um, 
And because I set them in different parts of the country, I mean, Murder Most Sweet, as you probably recall, was I decided to set that in my former hometown of Racine, outside of Racine, Wisconsin. And that was my growing up years. And so that was very much a regional mystery um, and, and focusing on the baking aspect. It was a kind of an homage to my Danish Norwegian grandmother who was quite the baker. So that was a very specific sort of area, region, all of that. Plus I also made um, um, Teddy a breast cancer survivor like me. When it came to hope, however, um, I, I created a fictional town in, I live in California. I live um, in Northern California near Sacramento and I love the area and there's all these favorite little towns we go to. And so I kind of had a certain area in mind that I really like and I just created a fictional town there. And because I am an Episcopalian, I attend an Episcopal church and I sing in the choir, but I'm not a clergy person and never will be. <laughs> I could never do that. But um, my very first, we've only been Episcopalians about, oh, just a little more than a decade. And the first time we walked into an Episcopal church, there was a woman priest, pastor. I was like, whoa, isn't that nice? Because I had come from an evangelical background where women weren't allowed to preach. So it was like, oh, isn't this nice? a woman pastor and so and she was fabulous she was just so intelligent and you know well educated well traveled and she had done a blog she had had a sabbatical and gone to England which is my favorite place in the entire world and so I, I read her blog before we went to the church and she a couple of the small towns she'd been to in England were some of my favorite places it's like okay I have this connection already with her and so I was just very um I admired her a lot and I, she was just such a great role model. And I thought, Ooh, and so it's funny though, because I mean, she's since retired, but, and we have a new uh, priest at our church and that's Reverend Mary. So the first one was pastor Mary. The second one was Reverend Mary. And it's like, do you have to be named Mary to preach? It's like, no, no, <laughs> but, and, 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 and are we going to ever call you mother Mary? No, we're not calling you mother Mary. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, you know, it just, so I, I had to make sure I told the congregation when I told them about my book deal, it is not our priest. It's not Reverend Mary. It's not best. It's just the, I did interview them, but so I could know what it is like to be a woman priest, but it's not them. Trust me. It's not. She's totally made up. <laughs> now, now you, you, you talked about, uh, you know, interviewing the priest and, and reading one's blog. Is that the primary method you use to, to do research for your book? Yeah, in this case it was because like I said, I mean, I know the Episcopal Church as a member um, and as an attendee, but I didn't know a thing. And and, and I love the Father Brown series on, on TV. Well, I did, uh, but I'm, I'm not crazy about the inspector they have now, Inspector Mallory. He drives me crazy. So I've stopped watching it because like he makes me nuts. But I love the Father Brown mysteries. I love the Grant Chester series. And then a not another wonderful English series with a vicar with a female vicar is the vicar of Dibley. It's not a mystery at all. It's a comedy. Uh, the vicar of Dibley. Have you ever seen that? I've seen one or two episodes, but I, I, I lean more towards the mystery than the comedy. Yeah. Well, I just loved her because she was hilarious and it was such a, all those quirky people. And so in the back of my mind, there was that, okay, small town, you know, the reactions to a woman priest and then the quirky, funny, offbeat characters but yeah for it so as far as research more of it would was the actual interviewing of the women priests and saying okay what what was it like when you first became a priest what are the things you've dealt with issues you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and so that formed a big part of my research for it 
And I, I know you said you had actually written Hope, Faith, and a Corpse three years before your, your Baker series, but now that you're going to be writing them both at the same time, how is that going to change things? <laughs> well, the thing is, hopefully writing both at the same, I don't have a, right now I'm contractless. I'm without a contract. I've written the, I signed a three book deal with Crooked Lane and uh, Murder Most Sweet has come out. Now Hope, Faith, and the Corpse has come out. And then the second bookish Baker mystery, which is called Deadly Delights, that comes out this June and that's done. So I'm, I've completed everything that I was contracted to do. I'm waiting to hear if they're going to continue one or both series, fingers crossed. So um, I'll just juggle. I'm good at juggling. <laughs> I think because I have my journalist background and I can write, I learned, I realized this as, as I was writing, I can write um, a cozy in about four months. So um, yeah, about four months, give or take. And so I figured I'd just juggle. I, I, since I'm hoping I get another deal, I would assume since I, my, my assumption is that since I've done two book, bookish Baker, the next one they would want would be the second hope. So I have started playing around with that a little bit. And, you know, I have a chapter or two, but um, I haven't done that much because then something else came to my mind, another project that I'd been wanting to do for many years and I've been playing with that. So I'll just juggle. I'm good at that. Well, we'll think positively and, and say you'll get a contract to continue both series. Yeah, that great? <laughs> so, so do you think that writing about two women with such different careers would make it easier or more complicated to write both series? I, th I think it's easier because otherwise, you know, you can run the risk when you are juggling two series that you don't want to be repetitive. You don't want to have the same thing in both series. So, you, so I wouldn't want my characters to be alike. Otherwise, it'd be like, oh, wait, I already did. Wait, no, did I do this here? And in fact, I'll be honest and say when I was writing Deadly Delights, because it's so funny, my husband will go, now, wait, wait, he gets confused between the two. He goes, wait, which one is that now? What? What? And so while I was writing Deadly Delights, I went, wait, no, I've already used this. And I had to kind of go back. And because I'm a total seat of the pants writer, I'm not a plotter. I'm not an outliner. So on a couple of things, I went, I think I might have done this maybe over here. I better go check. So having the two main char female characters very different makes that a lot easier. And I don't have to worry as much about, oh, am I going to do the same thing here as I did, you know, so that that's definitely helpful. Uh, switching back to, to geography, um, you, you mentioned that, you know, Apple Springs is a fictional small town, uh, but honestly, it sounds like a place you'd expect more in North Carolina than Northern California. But California does have a lot of small towns. Oh, yeah. uh, what else might surprise readers about California? Well, um, first of all, I have to confess that I'm geographically impaired. Uh, <laughs> I'm not real good with my geography. So there's, we have a, some favorite small towns. There's a small town east of um, Sacramento, about an hour east. It's called Sutter Creek. And that's a, that's a gold rush town. And we go and we have a favorite bed and breakfast that pre-pandemic we used to like to go there. But so we, we go there regularly and love it. It's a darling town, but also every year in, a, in another part of the area, which I, because I'm geographically impaired, I said, aren't they close to each other? My husband said, no, honey, totally different direction. Okay, all right, fine. But there's a place called Apple Hill. And Apple Hill is very famous in where I live because it's a series of different um, 
family run orchards, apple orchards. And every fall, it's become this huge, huge, huge phenomenon. And I don't think people think that about California, apples and, you know, apple orchards, but it's become this huge thing every fall. And you say, we're going to Apple Hill and you, you got to get there early because now I couldn't even tell you if there's like a hundred family run orchards or, I mean, there's a zillion. Wow. And um, there's little tiny mom and pop ones, but then there's bigger ones. And then they have all these craft booths and food stalls. And it's just a huge thing. And it's everybody goes, but sometimes the traffic we've learned, we get up early and we, it doesn't even officially open most of the places till about 9 a.m. But we have found one of our favorite orchard places. It's called um, High Hill Farm. And we go there, we get there about a little after eight and we go inside to the, and we order a piece of hot apple pie and we start <laughs> a cup of tea and we start the morning and the stalls are still opening. We start there and, and that is one of the most popular ones. They also have a fabulous fudge shop on the premises. So we go there and we want to get through the, the you know, craft booths and the, all that kind of stuff before the crowds descend because after about 10, 30, 11 in the morning, it's bumper to bumper traffic. And I think a lot of people don't realize that about California. They go, what? Apples? And really? And so in, as I was creating my fictional town of Apple Springs, I had in my mind a little bit of the Apple Hill idea. And in Deadly Delights, there is going to be a, um, a food festival. It's actually a, like a Great British Bake Off kind of a thing. And so I, in my mind, I was kind of thinking about Apple Hill, but then the location where I put it was Sutter Creek and they're completely different spots because like I said I am geographically impaired <laughs> but you know uh, that's yeah so it was more a gold rush town area era that I was that I set it in placement wise but what I had in my mind was Apple Hill and actually the I initially called it Apple Valley and thankfully I have a friend who was a beta reader for me and she goes, oh, Laura, there is Apple Valley in Southern California, not a great place, not, it's kind of trashy and rundown and blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, okay, no, let me change that then. So, you know, thankfully she called me on that and I was able to make that. But I like the, I like the sound of Apple Springs, but you're right. It does have more of a kind of a Southern North Carolina, something sort of sound to it. It's, but, it's, but it's surprising. So it's, it's fun to learn that California has apples to not and not just grapes, which is right. what you think tons of. So. And tons, and tons of apples. <laughs> now, now Hope has a Labrador retriever named Bogey. Yes. Right? And you named him after Humphrey Bogart. Yep. So what's your favorite Bogart movie? You know, it's so interesting that you asked that because just last week we watched two. We watched Casablanca, which is right up there. It's in my top five favorite movies of all time. It never, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've watched it, probably at least 20 times, probably more. And yet it never grows old. It never grows stale. Every time I watch it, I find something new. Every time um, there's a scene in Rick's nightclub where Victor Laszlo, um, Ingrid Bergman's husband, you know, leads the whole nightclub and singing La Marseillaise, that I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but the French national anthem, uh, you know, while the Nazis are singing their Nazi song. And I get chills every time I hear that. So I love, love, love that. Then a couple nights later, we watched To Have and Have Not, um, which is where Lauren Bacall first met Bowie. It was her first film, she was 19 years old. And that's where they, they met. And I actually, I quote, I do a quote from that in Hope, Faith, and a Corpse. I have a Hope 
quote a line from that. And so I thought, oh, I haven't watched that in a while. And I know the lines, it's very famous. It's like, you know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. So I have Pastor Hope say that in a sultry voice of all things. Um, so I thought, oh, I haven't watched that movie in a while. And we watched it. And afterwards, my husband and I looked at it. In fact, before the end, he actually got up and walked away. He goes, this is so bad. I have to, I can't watch this anymore. And we, I went, oh my God. But I, I hung in there and it was like, oh gosh, it is bad. It's like the first half hour was fabulous. And it's this classic that people always talk about. And it's famous for that line. And it's famous for Bogey and Bacall meeting and falling in love. But, and, and Ernest Hemingway actually wrote the book. But when you, the, the execution, and it's just like, oh, oh, ah, the dialogue and some of the, you know, it's just like, it didn't quite hold up. So, but another, I love, I also do love um, the Maltese Falcon. I, I, I think it's kind of a, it, it would probably be a toss up between Casablanca and the Maltese Falcon. I think they're both fabulous. So Are you a bogey fan? I am. I, I, I do love them. Um, it, Casablanca is well, it's probably my favorite because it's just everybody's favorite, right? But uh, I think my next one is probably The Big Sleep, actually, oh, is, yes. is, is, yes. is up there because I, I just love the whole, I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that's kind of the fun of it. And it's in the, the scene where they're, um, they start to call the cops and then change their mind mid-phone call and they end up confusing the cops. That's, that's like one of my favorite scenes of, of all movies. <laughs> and again, it's another Lauren Bacall. So it is. <laughs> it's marvelous in that, yeah. Yeah. Now, had, there's one we just saw for the first time last, uh, getting my years. Okay, so it was 2000, Christmas of 2019. And it's called We're No Angels with Humphrey Bogart. And I, I think it was a guy named Aldo Ray. And I forget the third character, but they're escaped convicts. And it's at Christmas time. And, I, you know, I'd heard of it, but it's a comedy. Humphrey Bogart in a comedy. And it's odd and it's different, but it was pretty fun. We we like said, so, well, this is something different. So um, check that out if you've never seen it. Uh, we're no angels. And, we're no angels. Yeah, yeah. Which sounds sounds fitting when you're we're talking yeah. about the mystery <laughs> series uh, starring an Episcopal priest, right? Yeah, right. Uh, and and speaking of of bogey, um, how did you decide? Uh, to give your sleuth a dog as opposed to a cat since this is a cozy you've, you've got to talk right. about dogs and cats so how'd you right. end up going with the dog because i'm a dog person i've never been a cat person it's not that i dislike cats i'm not crazy about litter boxes but you know um i, I had somebody who shall remain nameless that i know and love um wasn't real good about cleaning out the litter box and anytime i'd go to this person's house to be like okay hmm. so you know i just kind of got this thing against litter boxes but it's funny because when I go to people's friends' houses that have a cat, when we could still go to each other's houses, always I would sit there, the non-cat person in the room, the cat would always come up to me, rub against me, and I'd pet the cat. It'd be fine. It's not like I dislike them. It was just like, I have a thing about litter boxes. So <laughs> I've just not ever had a cat. And I had never had a dog either until, um, let's see, we're coming up on our 30th year of marriage. We'd been married about five years, realized we weren't going to be having kids. And my husband grew up with dogs and said, well, let's, let's get a dog. I was like, okay. And because I'd never had one, I had all this list of rules. Well, I don't want one that sheds. 
I don't want one that's too big because if it wags its tail, it'll knock my teacups and pretty stuff off and break them. Uh, I don't want this, you know, I had all these rules and I, I'd like a kind of a pretty cinnamon color, you know, I mean, hello, <laughs> you know, hello, like I'm buying, you know, that's, that was in my mind for getting a dog. And we went to a few rescue groups and we wound up getting, um, a, an American Eskimo, which she's on the cover of Murder Most Sweet. And she had been found, you know, had been abandoned. And when we got her, she was this just little emaciated little thing shivering. And, and we thought she was a short haired dog. And once she got healthy, she had long hair. So she shed all over the place. But, <laughs> but I fell in love. You know, she was, I was holding her in my arms in the car as we're driving her home. And she was so just shaking with fear. She was so nervous. And it's like, oh. And then she was also so nervous, she threw up on my shoe. And you know, I wasn't grossed out. I was just like, oh, poor baby. And I just became a dog mom in that moment. And then when she um, went across the Rainbow Bridge about a little more than a decade ago, we got our second dog from a rescue group. And she's a spaniel mix um, named Melly. And um, so I just, I have become a canine mom. I, I love dogs. They're unconditional love. They're just the way their eyes looking in their eye. You know, there's just, I'm just, I am besotted with dogs now. And so I thought, well, I can, I'm going to transfer that affection to my books. Now I've never had a lab. So that was a little different, you know, but I, the lab, although hopes, it was hopes and her husband's and her husband um, uh, has, you know, he's passed because she's a widow. So I just, you know, I've not ever had a big dog. So that was a little bit different. I had to learn a little bit more about that, but I just love dogs. I'll probably always have dogs in my cozies. Well, I'm, I'm sure all the, uh, the dog cozy folks will be, be happy to hear that. But the cat cozy folks should still read your books, right? Yes. Now you're a cat person, right? I'm an animal person. Um, I have a cat now because she just kind of fits better with my lifestyle. But um, I have had dogs as well. Um, so I just love animals. Yeah. Yep. So I always answer both when anyone asks me cats or dogs. Both. Okay. <laughs> Uh, uh, speaking of both, you ha have mentioned that you have a book in both series coming out. You, I think you mentioned a little about the second uh, bookish baker mystery. Would you like to tell us some more about that one? Sure. Um, that one is called Deadly Delights. And um, it takes place just a few months after the first one. And it opens, um, I love the Great British Baking Show or, you know, it's different names. Sometimes it's called the Great British Bake Off. And then sometimes it's called the Great British Baking Show. And I can't, I always forget which, is it in England? Is it the Bake Off or is it, I can't remember. But um, I love that. And I especially loved it when Paul Hollywood had, and Mary Berry. Did you, did you ever watch that? Or have you watched the show? I have seen it. I, I don't watch it all the time, but I have, I have seen it before. Okay. So when they first began, we first got in the States, the original people, the two, the two judges were Mary Berry, who's this quintessential classic, elderly English lady and amazing baker whom I adored and Paul Hollywood and then the two comedians uh, presenters and now they've changed and they have different people but uh, it's just I always like that and so I had the idea oh wouldn't that be fun to do uh, something similar um, in in Deadly Delights in the next bookish baker so it uh, the book opens at their annual um, bake-off and of course it's a small town so they can't have they, they do have a big white baking tent like they do in the, but it's, it's vinyl and it does not have, there's no ovens in the tent and there's no, you know, they couldn't do all that kind of stuff. So people do their own baking at home. And um, 
uh, the first, so the way I had them change it up was it's like day one is going to be cookies, day two is going to be pies, and day three will be cakes. And then, you know, they, they get judged on that. And that's kind of how the book opens. And one of the judges is a creep and um, is found dead in the baking tent. And that's kind of how things kick off. And from there, I got to just play around with, um, you know, more food stuff. And I, I think I might've told you when we first talked that I'm actually not the baker in the family, my husband is. So he always, he calls it, I, okay, I'm, I'm going to the cozy kitchen now to rustle up some new things, recipes. And so he goes ahead and bakes the things for, which is great because, and then I sample them <laughs> or our them. But um, this time in Deadly Delights, I, I, I started going down a slightly darker road um, and I'm not, I don't like to write dark stuff. That's just not in my nature. Um, but I went and it wasn't that, it wasn't too dark, but it was just a little bit kind of, uh, and, and because of the pandemic, I was writing, uh, that during the pandemic while I was still working. And, um, I don't know about you, but in the early months of the pandemic, I was kind of a mess. I just, it kind of, it, it was so weird and it was so different and it was frightening. It was like, what does this mean? Is, where can we go? Or, I mean, are we going to get it just by going, I mean, you know, there was just a lot of anxiety and I struggled with that, which is not my normal nature at all. I'm not an anxious person, but suddenly that made me that way. And um, I found I couldn't focus on reading. Reading is my favorite thing in the world to do. And I didn't read a book the first two to three months of the pandemic. I could not focus. I'd try and and then I'm supposed to be writing too. And so I couldn't read a book and I could hardly write. So um, I, I had to ask for a two week extension and I finally did, I was able to write, but I wound up writing Deadly Delights in about two and a half months because of the pandemic and my own anxiety. And so there was one aspect of it that I was, that I kind of went down this one path and I thought, I wonder how that's gonna play out, hmm. And as it turned out, my editor went, that's a little too much. We needed to dial that back just a little bit. And she was right. I mean, I love having a good editor. I've been very fortunate that every editor I've had, with the exception of one copy editor years ago who did not get my humor, but aside from that, every editor I've had, I've been very fortunate and they've been amazing. And, and to me, a good editor sees things that you're too, you're too close to see. And so when they're doing the developmental edit, they go, oh, hmm. And they just, just by saying, I just, that doesn't quite work because of blah, blah. And it's like, oh, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I, and I had wondered, like I said, I went down this one way and I wasn't sure how it would fly and she was right. It didn't work. So I, I sort of dialed it back and changed. And then it made it more interesting anyway, what I was able to do. So that was fun. But there, there, I will say that it's not a usual cozy thing, but there is a visit to an exotic dance nightclub. So ex exotic dancing and pies that's that's definitely <laughs> intriguing <laughs> yeah so you know <laughs> so if, if so for folks who are just dying to find out the connection between exotic dancing and baked goods uh when and where can they find a copy of deadly delights that will come out in june i believe it's june 8th and you can, it's all, it's already available for pre-order on Amazon, probably Barnes and Noble too. Um, but you can go through my, they can go through my website, www.lauradjensenwalker.com. And there's links there to buy it from independent bookstores and other places. And where can they get a copy of Hope, Faith, and a Corpse? 
That is also available on all online bookstores, um, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million. Um, locally, uh, there's a, a Capital Books. It's my local independent bookstore here. And I always try and say, or try and get it from your own independent bookstore, but it's pretty much on any online bookstore they wanna look at it would be there. And just to remind folks, there's always bookshop.org, which is an online bookstore that benefits independent bookstores. Yeah. And where can readers, uh, other than your, your, your website, which you've mentioned, where else can readers connect with you? They can connect with me on Twitter at Laura Jensen Wall one w-a-l-1 i when i you know i was so new to twitter and i tried to do laura jensen walker and apparently it was too long so i had to cut it off and it was just w-a-l-1 so and then um instagram is laura jensen walker so but i don't i don't do too much on instagram i i am just not the best technological person and i do instagram but then it's like i can't do this and i can't do that so it's like okay okay it just <laughs> it's, it's tricky i don't know do you do instagram um, I do Instagram. Um, it's uh, very photo focused and I like to take photos. So I do post those. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, that would, that would be a great place to post some pictures of your husband's baked goods. Uh, you might want to stay away from posting the pictures of exotic dancers, but uh, <laughs> um, and that uh, the Episcopal Church also has an Instagram account. So they, they post some some fun things there, too. Yeah. Okay, I'll check. Well, thank you for that tip. Thank you. Now, I will definitely not post pictures of exotic dancers. <laughs> No, but pictures of pies are good. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Laura, for joining me again in the corner. Thanks for having me. It was fun. And this is the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Laura Jensen Walker, author of Hope, Faith, and a Corpse. She's also the author of the Bookish Baker Mysteries. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Thank you for joining me. Until next time. Goodbye. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review. Help me keep bringing you fun and informative chats with authors of cozy and traditional mysteries by supporting the podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.